Welcome, listener. Join us for this Clear Path to Success professional development podcast. Welcome to the Clear Path to Success podcast for business development. This is a podcast where we intend to inform and educate you and to help you navigate the challenges of your practice by hearing about the successes and challenges of your peers. I am your host, Robert Yakos, a practitioner and a business owner. Today, I'm really excited. We have a great guest for you, um, and I'm sure you're going to get lots out of it. I am speaking with Dr. Sohail uh, Farzim. He's in Australia. He is an emotional well-being acupuncturist. His practice and his values in his uh, work is all about values, empowerment, and transformation. A little bit about uh, Dr. Farzim. Dr. Farzim is an Australian registered acupuncturist, and he has been practicing for 17 years. He also, he was also a long-term lecturer at Endeavor uh, College of Natural Health, formerly known as Australian College of Natural Medicine in Melbourne, Australia for 14 years. Recently, he has paused his teaching at the college only to expand his teaching publicly, both domestic and internationally. So Heil's main area of specialty is psycho-emotional imbalances and emotional empowerment. He's a well-known practicing acupuncturist in Australia, and he currently presents many seminars on psychological and mental health conditions all around Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand, Ireland, and soon to be teaching in the United States, India, Poland, and further destinations around Europe. He has a special interest in human psychology, human behavior, neuroscience, quantum physics, and philosophy. He integrates all these study angles into TCM concepts to fully understand the dynamics of the psyche. By helping to enhance the awareness and understanding of the true and brilliant nature of the, the psyche, along with the ability to deliver and communicate such concepts be, uh, to be applied and understand clinically, Sohail has been able to dramatically help his clients with deep breakthroughs from long-term mental health challenges as well as practitioners with ever-expanding shifts in their perception and understanding of mental health and disease. Next to this, Ohio is also an active business mindset and leadership consultant and mentor to both health practitioners as well as multi-million dollar corporations in Australia, including ongoing private consultant in a billion-dollar organization. So Heil is hired to provide peak performance coaching to quickly and dramatically make shifts in business growth team management, and leadership training. Dr. Soal Barzam, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you today. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. And I've uh, been looking forward to this chat. So uh, uh, it's going to be great. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, we spoke for quite a bit of time on the pre-chat uh, about uh, your life, about how your approach is. And um, I always like to start off with an easy question, just to kind of warm things up in our podcast. So here it goes. So how do you define success? What is, what is success to you? I, I know this is a light one, and you know, I'm just kind of throwing one out there for you. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a good question because uh, many people from my observation, including myself, uh, want success and uh, we want all the benefits of success but ultimately uh, unfortunately many, many of us don't really know what that means and if you ask someone what is success and they go well you know just success like business or uh, relationship uh, it needs to be a little bit more defined and to be quite honest the best um, example or I guess explanation of success that I resonate with the most comes from 
Earl Nightingale, who said, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. And the key word there is actually a worthy ideal. And it means something that is worthy of you. And uh, so when you define success, like business success is one thing. So a lot of people align success straight away to either business or financial. Uh, the problem is if you have uh, challenges or compromised issues in your personal life, your health, your wisdom, your social community, these things are going to play a huge role in your business and financial. So it's one thing to have goals around successful business implementation, actions, profitability, and also financial management and, and independence. But if you don't have success in other areas of your life that are more meaningful or at least the same, such as physical relationships, familial, social, wisdom, spiritual, it's going to impact your overall success. So, yeah, for me, it's the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. It's, it's a lifelong uh, mastery in essence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously when we were reading through your, your, your bio, um, you've accomplished a tremendous amount in your life and uh, it became a, really apparent when we were speaking that that you know, your and your path to success is, is never a straight one and there's always trials and tribulations that that happen along the way to help you define and, and find your path that is always kind of changing along on the way now tell us a little bit more about you know what kind of what were the big milestones for you and some of the key points that kind of put you on your path um, I find that, that truly interesting. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm 40 years old at the moment and I've been in Australia for, you know, 30 something years. And we actually, I was born in, uh, in Afghanistan, but we actually left when I was about three years old. And when we left, we actually left uh, due to the war, the, the Russian invasion at uh, 1982, we left. And uh, what was interesting is my family, my, my parents were quite, you know, reasonably wealthy, like, you know, not massive, but they were doing quite well. And one particular day we just left, like uh, I was playing outside. I have memories of this. I was playing in the front yard, this, this unusual van that I hadn't seen before came up, picked us up. I even asked my mum, whose car is this? And, you know, I was like three years old. And she said, oh, it's just a car we've got and we're just going to your auntie's house. And that was it. And we never went back and, and we left the country and we, we ventured forth to Pakistan for survival. We went to eight days of uh, walking through the mountains in the winter, through the, to the, you know, in between the war zones. And then we stayed there for about two years and it came to Australia. Why I'm saying that is because my, my upbringing in Australia was a bit challenged because one, the, the capacity for my English, I couldn't speak English, of course. So that was, luckily I was a bit young. But uh, growing up, I had a lot of trouble with a couple of things. One was education. I was not very good at reading um, and understanding anything. And also I had uh, a lot of problems building relationships. And these kind of moved ahead into my teenage years and adult years. And, and of course, when I got into sort of early practice, the same problems kept coming up. I couldn't read properly. So, of course, I had issues with education and wisdom. And I couldn't build relationships. And so the biggest hurdles, like you said, what was your major hurdles? I think was probably around relationships. I had multiple uh, issues around relationships. And then in around 2012, I had a big uh, relationship challenge. It was a divorce. My first marriage, uh, you know, broke down and had a lot of emotional challenges with that. Uh, It was the first time in my life where I actually had physical and visceral pain from a relationship. Like I was getting like gut issues and things of this nature. And so it came to a point where I became desperate. Uh, like, you know, I had to do something about the pain. I had to do something about the relationship, the toxicity of it. It was hurting. 
was causing me a lot of grief during the day, affected my personal life, my business and things of this nature. And uh, I made a decision on that, of course, and um, to, to end that. But that decision was one of the most powerful decisions I had made. The first thing was that I actually made that decision. Most of my life, I was in a state of indecision and were waiting for someone else to come and rescue me. And so when I made the decision, I realized I have some, some power, at least uh, left in my body, to, to make a decision that serves me better to leave this relationship that wasn't no longer fulfilling my values. And ever since then, I got into a lot of personal development, self-development, personal cultivation work because simply just one thing, I wanted to know why I have relationship breakdowns and why I can't sort of relate to people that well. I was, or I thought I was an introvert. I don't, I no longer believe in introvert and extrovert, so to speak, but I, I was growing up. I was a bit of an introvert. I was very shy. Every single report card in my school uh, from grade one to E12 on the bottom of the report card, the teacher would make a comment said shy, shy, like shyness, shy kid. <laughs> and that was like the, the, the common uh, thing I would get on my reports. What was interesting though is I was actually a comedian at home. It was only outside of home, so obviously outside my comfort where I was always a shy kid and an introvert and I never had the courage to say what I wanted to say. And so I wanted to learn about that stuff. And so through that divorce, I, I got into personal development work. I wanted to get some answers about my life and why I am the way I am. Was it a mistake? Is it on par with something? Is it something more meaningful? Uh, is this how I'm supposed to be? Is this uh, genetic? And all these kind of things uh, were apparent and I just wanted to find out if there was anything further out there. And fortunately there was, there was quite a bit more that I learned. And that was around 2012 I started and now it's 2020, I haven't stopped since. Um, my values now, research and reading, I can read really well, as you can probably see behind me. I've got the full, full, I love books. It's all I do pretty much now, research, read, teach, um, and of course practice. So I think my... My biggest conflict was the uh, the relationship challenges that I had, which I, I faced an imminent transformation and I've, I've learned a lot about it since. So, which is really powerful as far as, you know, many times we, we have to suffer in order to, to, to look for answers and adapt or change or just kind of surrender, right? So I think it's very interesting that, that you said, okay, I'm not going to let this, this conquer me. I'm searching to understand why. So when you were in private practice at this time, you were, uh, when the divorce happened in 2012, you were practiced for about 10 years. Is that, is that correct to say on your timeline there? Yeah, I think it was around, I think it was about that. I think it was about 11, 12 years in practice. Um, and, uh, what was interesting was I was, I was very scattered. Uh, I, I, I don't even know how I made it, to be honest. I mean, I was obviously a part-time practitioner. Uh, I was also part-time in retail. Now, retail was actually enjoyable, so I actually enjoyed doing it. It wasn't just because I had to do it. I mean, I did because financially I wasn't able to make the clinic work to pay for my, obviously, day-to-day -day life. Um, so I was in retail, but I grew up in sales a little bit, so that was enjoyable. I had a lot of friends in retail. Um, so for the first 12 years or so in my practice, um, I was scattered, I was bad with time, I was terrible with uh, money, um, I had no money really, um, so it was just enough to make ends meet. Um, I wasn't good in relationships still, like with clients, like uh, I didn't understand, I mean I, I understood the basics of TCM of course, like you know most practitioners would, but what I didn't have was the ability to build um, phenomenal relationships to really allow transformations to occur as part of treatments. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, the first 
quite a number of years, I was just a very, very loose kind of scattered practitioner and not really going anywhere. In fact, I, didn't, I wasn't even sure I was going to keep going with practice. So for the direction that you took, okay, so I like to call it the personal change and transformation kind of like a soup. Now there's a soup of things that are in play that finally uh, kind of go to a boiling point where you just say, I'm either jumping out of this thing or I'm kind of making things happen on my own. And so you started kind of looking for answers. Answers started coming in different areas. And it was multifaceted from a business side of things, from a relationship side of things, personal finance. There were all of these kind of maybe disparate type of things seemingly that were going on. But was there anything in particular that kind of just said, oh, aha, what the heck? <laughs> and you just realized that the, the connection between everything, was there anything that, the, that, that any resource, a mentor or something along that lines that kind of put it all together and uh, created an aha moment for you? Yeah, actually, there was. I mean, I had a colleague who was a myotherapist, and he worked in that clinic that I was at, and I'm still at, um, for about eight months. And he took me to a, a random seminar, and I was more just to hang out, to be honest with him. It was on a weekend, and I had nothing better to do, so I went. But um, I wouldn't say that specific mentor that was speaking on the day was the, the point of transformation. I think it was just the, the process of the few weekends in that time frame where I enjoyed going to the seminar. I thought, okay, maybe I'll just pick up a book and read a thing or two. But what I remember is it was actually towards the end of that relationship that broke down. Um, I was watching a, a show on um, a documentary on Dubai and, and the, the growth of Dubai and the, the, the infrastructure and the growth of Dubai and the success of Dubai and the, and the money in Dubai and all this stuff. And growing up, I had a couple of visions. One was traveling. Um, I love traveling. And fortunately, we did a lot of it, but just more to family stuff to Europe because we have family in Europe. And the other thing was um, astronomy and, uh, you know, something big, like a global thing. And when I saw this, something clicked in me. And uh, this was, I think, just actually before that seminar I went to. It's so like maybe a couple of days before. And all I did was go and Google straight after that and just typed in a couple of words. I think it was like, uh, marketing for acupuncture or something like that. And I just read a couple of links that came up and something just opened in my mind. And so when I went to the seminar, something else opened up in my mind. And then I went to a couple more and then more and more opened up. And then I read this quote from the Carnegie Institute in America who said that 85% of your success is based on your ability to build relationships and 15% is your technical ability mm -hmm. to deliver. And that came back to the same issue that I've been having all my life, relationships. I thought, oh my God, so that even applies in business as well, right? I thought of business is more about just marketing and, you know, serving clients. But this particular reliable source said that 85% is your ability to build and relate to people. I thought, wow, that's like my, my sole biggest weakness in my life. Mm -hmm. And so that was my point. I had to go and learn everything I can about relationships. And in so doing, I learned more about myself and who I am. And I think that's really what changed um, in myself. And what I learned that is that on, on average is four different personality traits within, in, uh, in any given industry with people, the human beings. And I learned that I was obviously like we all have a dominant relationship personality and then we have like some supplementary ones. So if you look at the four personality types and most people have a dominant one, which is 25%, I realized that all my life, so at that stage I was in my early 30s, I realized all my life I've only been dealing with people um, that relate to 25% of who I am. Mm. 
which means I'm missing out on 75% of the market. Why? Because I, I don't know how to get along with people who are not like me. And that's what shifted, right? And I, I learned more about how to deal with, you know, dominant personalities, how to deal with really political, analytical kind of personalities, how to deal with a lot of influence who allowed and all this kind of stuff. And um, it, all, it all came back to the, the concept of building relationships and, uh, and, and, of course, learning about who I am myself and why my relationships would break down and why I was introvert or at least I thought I was and why I was shy at school and all these kind of things and why I couldn't speak up and when I wanted to say something. And uh, the knowledge of that changed a lot of who I am and who I am today as well. So when these, the relationship came to the forefront, and you realize that and the, the work started and it started to snowball and you were yes. devouring information and the, the puzzle was coming together faster. Right. So yes. How, what was the output as far as you know, your consulting? And we were talking about that before and also your practice. What, what were the changes what were you noticing the shifts in, in your practice when, when the pieces started to come together? Yeah, yeah. So in that early time, uh, Robert, it was interesting because when I did that uh, few keywords on Google, I wrote acupuncture marketing or marketing for acupuncture, I, something interesting happened. The following week, I had about three or four new clients and I, and I wasn't really getting much new clients. I was just maintaining my existing ones, which wasn't a lot anyway because um, I was only part-time. Um, but I got about three or four new clients that week and I, I realized I didn't do anything different. So, of course, I thought it was luck or just, just random. And then when I started to learn more and read more and go to a few more seminars, I realized that all I did was put the intention out there by actually at least searching, uh, like, you know, how to market myself better. And the energy of putting something out there, um, that gave me something back. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. So obviously I learned more and read more. And I went through a two-year process where I, because I had a lot of time, I was only part-time or casual retail and part-time clinic. Um, I actually read, believe it or not, about probably between seven to 12 hours a day, probably three or four times a week for two, two, uh, two years. And um, what I noticed was actually after two years, nothing actually changed, which was really strange because all these gurus on the seminars that I went to or podcast or YouTube or the books that I was reading kept saying devour information, read and, you know, education is currency and all this kind of stuff. Nothing changed after two years except for, on and off a few more clients because I was trying to do a bit more marketing for the, for the clinic or at least researching. And I thought, well, this is interesting because I did all this stuff and nothing in my life changed, not a single dollar more, not, uh, not really. I was a bit better with my knowledge and stuff, but my life was essentially the same. And what I found out was, uh, is that I wasn't actually taking any action on the information that I was learning. So essentially I was devouring information but not really moving with it. And there's a really important statement that goes like this, action precedes clarity more often than not. And so what I was doing is I was actually waiting to have clarity on what can happen in my life to change. What, what do I need to do for my business to make it better? What do I need to do to you know, find the ideal person like in a relationship? And I was just constantly waiting and waiting and procrastinating. And the moment I took action, started to move the information, things started to change. And so... I remember another thing was I, I dropped the retail job that I had, which I actually enjoyed. And when I dropped that, the following week, Endeavor College, which I was lecturing, I was only a sessional lecturer. And for about 
you know, the number of years I was lecturing, I was only teaching one subject a week, which was two and a half hours. It was point location class. And it was like, you know, it was enjoyable, but in terms of financially, it wasn't, it wasn't doing nothing for me. It was only two and a half hours a week. But a week that I left retail because I wanted to take action on the information that I learned to, you know, go into clinic full time. The following week after retail, Endeavor College offered me four subjects. And that was just impossible. Like, it was just a miracle. Like, that doesn't happen. And so I realized something, and that was that if I'm living to purpose and doing what I love, the universe is going to conspire to that. And so there's a statement about goals and says, when you make up clear goals, you'll be surprised how easily the universe will step aside and let you go and get it. It's just that I didn't know what I wanted, right? And I was obviously in fear and not really conspiring to the universe. So when I started to trust myself, my intuition, my intention, and what I wanted to do with my life, the universe started to open doors. And the reason why that happened is because I was finally taking action on what I believed in, which was in myself. So now we, so you've had a study before and traditional Chinese medicine, TCM, was your study and then you started to piece together your personal puzzle. How did these interface with one another? Did they conflict? Did they, was there any discovery process there at that point that, okay, I'm looking at the medicine differently now that I'm different? Yeah, that's a good point as well. Like I had a colleague who's uh, actually, she was, she was a client and she became a good friend of mine. She was like a second mother. Uh, she was an older older lady. I was pretty young then. And she sort of became like a kind of a mentor, like a second mum. And we became really good friends. And she had this really like a innate, kind of like a qigong gift. Like you would hug her and she would, if something's wrong with your body, she would pick it up. And she had this habit that every time we would, have, we would meet up maybe once a week, twice a week, just for like lunch or dinner or something, before we would go, she would get me to do like a two-minute qigong kind of exercise with her. And uh, what she noticed was she said, um, Sahal, your hands are quite powerful, but it's just that the universe is waiting for you to accept that gift. And I never knew what that meant. And so every time she would get more and more into the qigong, the, the, the philosophy side of the gifts and all this kind of stuff, I kind of tended to run away. So I wouldn't see her for a few months and then I would come back. What was interesting as course is because I would always come back. And then what I realized is that I picked up a book, uh, our own book out of all books, like Chinese medicine, Ling Shu chapter eight, which said that with, with all needling, don't ever miss the grounding of the spirit or the rooting of the spirit. And that just something clicked in me. And I thought, oh my God, I've been searching outside of myself for so long. I'm in a career that is founded on emotions, right? And personal cultivation. And there's this quote telling me that for every needling I do, don't ever miss the rooting of the spirit. And, you know, that could be translated in different ways for different people, but that really clicked for me. And I started to really delve into my own medicine much more than I ever did before, which is, of course, you know, Chinese medicine, but mainly in the era of emotional emotions and psycho-emotional understanding. And all the answers I was looking for was actually in Chinese medicine, which was my career. And that just gave me a whole new profound meaning of Chinese medicine and working with clients and all these issues with relationships and understanding the seven emotions and, uh, you know, the roads of personal cultivation and everything is about personal cultivation. And I think I might've said in our pre-chat that uh, uh, Sue Wen talks about the five prerequisites of a healer. And the first one is intention. 
I didn't have any intention. I was just a scattered little practitioner just doing whatever came to me. The concept of, you know, life just happens to me. Like I just submit to life instead of creating life. So the first prerequisite was intention, which I never had. And the second was your ability to follow the Tao, like your ability to follow the laws of nature, which I never did because, of course, I wanted to always fight against nature. If I didn't get my way, I would think it's someone else's fault. And so that was another thing I learned. It was to accept uh, myself and take accountability and responsibility for my decisions. Um, and even um, Chuang Tzu says that, uh, you know, those who want right without wrong, order without disorder, don't understand the principles of heaven and earth. And this is in our own medicine. And I just couldn't believe that. And so I devoured a lot of the Chinese medical concepts of emotions and learned a lot from that. And that really boosted my profile as a practitioner, but also really boosted my ability to relate and understand the medicine on a much deeper scale. I think with those, those different principles of, of relating to yourself, it also helps relating to your patients as well. And you know, where we can be stuck with patient care, we can also be stuck with our, all of our different personal sides and finances and, and such, and also our, pra our practice itself. So a common problem is that as practitioners, many practitioners get to a certain level, whether it's you know, a dollar amount, whether it's a patient visit visits or client visits per week, and then they get stuck there, whether it's 35, 40, and some people are, are totally happy being there and don't get me wrong, but other people are saying, ah, oh, I, I just, I can't break through. I'm just stuck at that plat that plateau. Mm. How, you know, from, you know, what we, I always say to people, it's, it's, you know, if you're stuck, it's usually the person that you see in the mirror, right? That's holding you back, right? Mm. And you know, my, my story is exactly that. So, and we were, you were just talking exactly what holds you back is yourself. So with, when you're working with practitioners and diagnosing the practitioner and the practice, is there commonalities that you see as far as like how and why people get stuck? Is it unique or are they kind of universal truths of those things in the mirror that are holding people back? And how do you work through those? Yeah, so the very common thing that I've seen, uh, which I think is related to many human beings, is uh, emotional baggage. We tend to carry a lot of emotional baggage, which generally is, uh, you know, unconscious that we don't really know what we're doing. I mean, if you look at Chinese medicine itself, there's normally a few level of uh, different penetrations of how emotions get into our body. And, um, you know, so if we have like a superficial defense level of emotions, it's sort of just like a mood. And if we have something that we can't understand about who we are and what's happening, uh, it goes into our blood and we sort of can't bring contextual meaning to that experience. And uh, if it goes into a little bit deeper, which is more painful, it's sort of in our bone marrow, in our essence, um, as some practitioners talk about. And so therefore, we don't know that we're actually carrying something. And so the very, very common thing that I've seen in 10 years of doing coaching businesses for TCM practitioners is many of them, unfortunately, are carrying some sort of emotional baggage. And so... If you're carrying emotional baggage, it's going to come out in so many different areas. And so, like the thing about the plateau that you said, when, when, when we hit plateaus, there's something interesting that I've been asking. Uh, it's one of the first things I ask in my seminars to, and when I do these business seminars. And I say to people, hands up if you think you, you, know, you love what you do or you're pretty serious about your business. And, you know, most hands sort of go up. And then I go, I'm going to reframe, this, reframe the question in a slightly different format. And I say, 
hands up if you are pretty serious about your business, you think you have a gift, you want to do everything you can to serve your clients, you want to continue learning about your art and craft, and you want to create a, an organization that helps you fulfill the, your meaning and your deeper purpose. If that's who you are, I want you to stand up. And people look around the room a little bit. Some stand up straight away, but there's a, there's a pretty big hesitancy in people standing up. And then slowly, sure enough, most people stand up because everyone else is doing it. And then I ask this question. I go, the difference between your energy output, between you putting your hand up and standing up wasn't that much. It probably took an extra, you know, half a second to stand up. It's just that you hesitated first. But I said the little difference in energy in business is called the winning edge, right? Which means you've got to stand up and stand out for your dreams and aspirations. And when you did that, I said, I didn't come with a gun to your head and told you to stand up. I just asked you a question. And if you're related to it, you stood up. So I said, in your deepest part of who you are, in your heart of hearts, you know you're capable of more, right? You're a genius at heart and you know what you're capable of doing. So something is holding you back. And the thing that's holding you back, of course, is these emotional uh, baggage that you probably don't even know you're carrying. And so my job is to help them understand and uncover that because once they sort of bring that to awareness, uh, things become a little bit more lighter. And when things become lighter, they can move a little bit bigger. Now, once they move, what happens though is that their vision starts to get bigger. So if you look at the psychology of a plateau in business, a plateau is only an introduction or an attention from the universe to tell you that your vision needs to get bigger which means you've actually achieved what you've wanted to achieve. And so most people don't want to give themselves permission to stand on the shoulders of giants, as Isaac Newton said. They like to hide in the shadows, right? So when you don't give yourself permission to stand on the shoulders of giants, you tend to hide behind the shadows. And so you might have subordination to other people and you're constantly doubting yourself with uncertainty and fear and you're not really doing anything great. So you'll make small little goals, you'll hit them and then you'll call it a plateau and you go, I have no idea how to go beyond this. Well, how do you go beyond that is to increase and enhance your vision. And the more you enhance your vision, your, in, your vision is proportionate to the inspiration in your business. So your inspiration is directly, directly proportionate to the clarity and vividness of how clear your vision is. And if you don't have a higher vision for yourself, you're going to keep hitting plateaus. Mm -hmm. And then you look outside and externally and you look at other things to fulfill that. And all it is is a block inside that's holding mm -hmm. you back. Amazing. That's <laughs> very true. <laughs> Let me ask you another question here. So, a lot of us, we might be at that vision side and, and say, wow, you know, my vision is starting to increase and there becomes a gathering stage where you're, you're taking in information and, and learning, learning, learning. Uh, like we we're saying in the pre-chat, you just started devouring information, devouring information. Mm. But um, as you said earlier, it was something that you realized that putting things into action and putting things out there, that's when you started to get the return. A lot of people just, you know, they're in that incessant student phase. They're, they're devouring, devouring information, and they're not implementing. They're not going and putting things into action. So that's a problem in itself is not getting things in motion. And it, it, are there any words of advice that, that you have in your experience as far as overcoming that condition. 
Yeah, look, there's a few ways of looking at that. If you look at the word emotion, the actual word, obviously, most people would know means, uh, you know, energy emotion. The word comes from old Latin root, which is motia, which actually means motive. And so you need sort of motive or something to strive for. And so then that leads me to talk about the difference between motivation and inspiration. So most people need to be motivated to move towards something. And that's actually one of the problems. So the reason why is because motivation is a symptom. It's not a solution. And so most people actually were waiting and requiring motivation to move towards something. And what most people unfortunately don't understand is that the way human behavior works is that human beings are actually twice as much motivated to move toward, uh, to move away from pain than that to move towards their objective. And so they're looking at their objective. Um, you know, I want uh, 60 clients instead of 40. I want uh, you know, reach six figures. I'm currently at 60,000. I want to get six figures. And, I want to save this much money. And all these are great. They're objectives. Have them as goals and visions and all these, you know, things of this nature. But unless you're tapping into the pain that you're holding, which again comes down to the emotional baggage you might be holding, you're not going to be actually motivated to move. So motivation is extrinsic. And so the more you rely on extrinsic factors to move you, the dense and heavier you become, which means you need to get pulled. Whereas inspiration actually comes from within. Inspire means to breathe in, right? To breathe in oxygen, which is life. So inspiration means light. And when you're light, so when you're inspired from within, you never need motivation to do what you love. And inspiration can only come when you have a resolution or a transformation of emotional baggage because emotional baggage holds you in density. And one of the key problems that I've seen in practitioners are Unfortunately, but also fortunately, a quarter of my, my clients are actually practitioners, so I get to learn from them. So that's the fortunate part. But what's unfortunate is that many practitioners are in a state of desperation, right? So they're, they're stuck in these uh, emotional bondage kind of thing, and they're looking for sources of outside of themselves to reach enlightenment, so to speak. And that's one of the other issues because enlightenment means to be infused with light. And so they're looking for ext extrinsic factors to bring into that light. But Carl Jung said, enlightenment is not figuring and, you know, and imagining figures of light. It's about going in the darkness and making the darkness conscious. So again, it comes back to yourself and facing your shadows, right? In Chinese medicine, we call that the gui. And so like when you start to face your shadows, you have an, a liberation, which is one of the four phases I talk about. And when you have a liberation, it means a, like an aha moment. When you have an aha moment, the next step is natural. It's called a breakthrough. You go through a breakthrough of clutter and stagnation. Those two are the hardest phases that people go through. But once you go through that, the next phase is elevation. We get knowledge and wisdom. And then the next phase is lifetime, lifetime mastery. So it all comes back to yourself and willing to take accountability, responsibility, and having awareness of some of the things that are holding you back and you're not really willing to see. I might have sort of diverted from the question a bit. Um, so pardon me if I did, but yeah, it really comes back to your emotional baggage and bondage that you're, you're attached to. So with the, so the, with the awareness and then the breakthrough and most practitioners are stuck there, what is the catalyst of change to go to the, the elevation and the wisdom, you know, knowing that it's coming from inside of yourself, a lot of the times there's a, hey, your why has to be big enough to, to move through it. So your reason, in, instead of being pulled, you need to kind of radiate outwards, right? 
Excellent. Yeah. So that's a good, good point you just said, because when your why is big enough, the house take care of themselves. And most people are so concerned about the how, like, how am I going to do this? When people say to me in the business seminars, how am I going to get more clients? How am I going to get reduce my cancellations? How can I save more money? How can I reach six figures? Honestly, I look at them and say, I don't care. I don't even, I don't even care about that. I said, I want to know why, why do you want more clients? Why do you want to reach six figures? What are you going to do with it? Right? Uh, why do you want less cancellations? So you're right. When your why is big enough, the house will just simply take care of themselves. And the point of change, like the catalyst, is really under the study of what's called axiology, which is values. Understanding your values, your innate values. And uh, I mean, Arist- Aristotle even talked about this, but many philosophers talk about values. Um, but one of the things I've learned is that there are no mistakes in the universe, right? The, you, you don't make mistakes. The psyche is always in balance. What makes you feel like you're out of balance and out of whack is how you filter your environment through your perception of five senses. And your perception of five senses are dominated and governed by your limbic brain. And your limbic brain, uh, unfortunately for most most people, they're dominated and governed by their limbic brain, which is their emotions. And so when you understand what your values are, so for example, if I say to you, uh, Robert, can you help me get closer to my business goals? I want to reach six figures. I want to you know, have 70 clients a week. I want you to help me save more money. If I want all this from you and you come and spend seven days with me and you don't see me investing one hour a week on anything to do with finances or financial management, I'm a fraud. I'm a contradiction. I'm a walking contradiction. And I'm never ever, regardless of your advice, I'm never going to get what I'm asking you to give me because my life does not demonstrate anything to do with the value of money, right? Um, So values are really important. And when I ask people what your values are, the very common thing they talk about is things like dignity, honesty, trust, respect, uh, you know, things of this nature, which are not really values, they're human behavioral traits. Values are simply what your life is demonstrating by your actions. So again, it comes back to your actions. So Robert, if you come and spend seven days with me, my 16 hours or whatever, my waking hours, there's only a few things you'll see me do. Read, which is research. Treat, so health. Either I'm treating someone or taking things for myself to improve and optimize my health. Travel, not so much in the COVID times, but uh, I'm, I'm always doing a seminar or traveling. And business, I run you know, four businesses and that's all I do. Everything else in my life is delegated to the best of my ability, which is one of the key fundamentals of overcoming plateau, by the way, is uh, delegation. And so these are my values. And now if you do come to my life and you don't see me pick up one book in the whole week, you don't see me pick up one book or learn one new thing about money management or serve one client or respond to a client or call a client or um, you see me eat a lot of junk food that means I'm a fraud, I'm a contradiction. I would like my life to show me business and books and traveling, but essentially my values and my actions are showing you the opposite. And so this is one of the biggest things for, for the catalyst. So when people can't change, it's because they're not willing to appreciate that their values are not governed to what they want. So if you want a bit, you know, improve your clinics, uh, your clinic outcome in terms of performance, productivity, profitability, or clients, the number of clients, well, and you don't show me that your values are for business at all, you, you despise marketing, you hate money, you think it's for greedy people and all this kind of stuff, which is normal, then that simply tells me that you don't have enough value on the business side of what you love to do. You might love acupuncture, but you need clients for it, right? 
So then my job is to help you first understand and identify that it's okay for you not to have a value on business, which is to appreciate what you currently value. So you might value being a mum. You might value uh, spending time with your children. You might value playing music. But if you still want clients and if you still want a, a higher turnover in your business and profitability and more, more business performance, then what we do is we link what you love currently to how then by doing more of my business tips, it's going to help you get more of what you're currently doing. It'll be very unwise for me as a human behavioral practitioner to tell you, hey, stop what you're doing do all these things to improve your business. It's completely unwise and, and it's not going to work. It never does. And a very good example I use to, to get that really solidified for people is for my own dad. I have a high value on health, of course, because I'm a practitioner, right? And my dad was on the verge of type 2 diabetes. And of course, his son, who's the practitioner, came in front of him with like a handful, like a dozen or so of all these supplements for him to take, herbs, a whole nutritional protocol he has to follow, an exercise routine he has to start doing, all this as of tomorrow. Like, Dad, you got to start this tomorrow. Of course, he didn't do none of it, right? And here I am like thinking, well, what the hell is wrong with him and uh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get him to do this? And it was just so unwise for me because obviously he doesn't have a high value on, on health as much as I do when I do because I'm, I'm into health, right? And so it was very selfish for me to do that. And so all I did was observe his life and I realized that he loves to read. He, he reads quite a bit before he goes to sleep. And all I did was get a book on diabetes type 2 and put it on his uh, table and said, Dad, I got this from the library, college library. Um, have a read if you like it. If you don't, let me know. I'll return it. And I just walked off and never looked back. One week he finished a book and that was six years ago and he changed his life. So all I did was meet his values, but essentially I also met mine. Right, So I selfishly got what I wanted, but by first understanding him and what he's all about. And so your values really dictate your financial and business destiny as well as everything else. So it's unwise for you to want more money if you don't have any value for it. And if you don't have any value, then you've got to realize, well, by me getting more clients and by me getting more money, how's that going to help my family? How's that going to help my music, my love for music? Or how's that going to help me play golf? Or how's that going to help with my, my friend and my social environment? And everything comes down to your values because values is essentially driving everything you do in your behavioral actions. And it'll be smart to start there first. So when you work with practitioners or businesses or what have you, is gaining that understanding and of you know, where their values are, you know, where their actions and behaviors are oriented and expressing that they want to have goals and they're not focused on that and that's not part of their value system at the moment, you're enhancing the other areas in order to get to indirectly their goals. It's perfect, yeah. And this right. is a huge, exactly. This is a big, big problem in, in corporations. Fortunately, I've had the privilege to do some work with corporations and uh, one of the key most expensive area in a corporation is recruitment. And the reason for that is because they, they're hiring, the way they do the hiring is a very olden day kind of style. Like, you know, are you punctual? What is your strengths and what are your weaknesses? These are all out of date questions that people do. And what's happening now is a, a minority of global organizations, not a lot yet, what they're doing is they're actually trying to do these value structures. And one of the key people that's leading that is Dr. Martini, which I think I might've told mm -hmm. you in our pre-chat because he's dedicated 45 years of his life on the study mm -hmm. of values. And so it, what they're doing is they're saying, well, what are your values outside of my company? 
Great. These are all my, your values. Okay. Here's my company values. Now, Robert, can you tell me how your top three or top five values are going to actually help you in this company by those things being linked to my company values? If I just get you to follow my company values, there's no real innate inspiration for you to do that. So that's why most people work for money. And when there's a better opportunity, they leave. But if I can attach my company values to your personal values and I can link them, you'll work and you'll do whatever it takes because essentially I'm actually helping you grow your own values. It'll be, it'll be very selfish for me to do the opposite, which was what most people do. Now, a very, very common thing that happens here and which happened to me for most of my career is this. Every single practitioner in the 10 years that we've done these business seminars, uh, about 98% of them, I would say, have problems with money and, and issues around money. Either they despise it, they resent it, they don't have it, they, they, they're always struggling with it, they can't manage it, they can't hold it, right? And it just keeps flowing out. And I, say, I tell them this, I said, there's a very, very big difference between valuing getting money and the difference between getting money and managing wealth. Okay. It's a big difference. Any single human being at any given point can make a dollar, right? You can always get a client. You might not be doing well, but I'm sure you have a client. So if you can get a client, that's great. You have some money, but there's a big difference between building a business to make money and also then underneath that to be able to manage the money and to manage the, the, the wealth and the finances and to grow wealth. And I had this problem most of my life. The biggest value I had for money was that as long as there's a couple of hundred dollars in the bank account every week, I'm fine. And that was just like, that was my biggest little thing with money. I couldn't believe now look back, it's just nonsense. But again, at that stage, I had no value on money. So it makes sense. And it'll be stupid for me to just keep resenting that, of course. It was just that at that time, my life was proportionate to what I could handle. But now I look at it, most practitioners have an issue with business and money simply because they don't actually value it. <laughs> it makes perfect sense as to why, you know, they may not be doing well. It's completely proportionate to their consciousness. Right. Right. Now in going through these different steps of, um, you know, that we were talking about those four phases or steps. Is that hard to, to move through with your, with your help or is it something that that it's you know you can identify and then work on it and then you see your results quickly or is it is it like a psychotherapy that would last for years and years to get the breakthrough and i'm sure that you know it's not one uh solution fits all but you know generally speaking is it something that, that you can move through quickly when you start to unlock those 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 areas that are holding people back yeah, look, Robert, I think it is. I mean, like you said, it's not one size fits all. Everyone has their own challenges and, and, you know, and expresses differently. But because every single human being has a set of values they live by because their actions are showing you that, so they can't lie about it, um, it's a really good place to start. So for every, like nowadays, the, the first maybe two or three sessions, I'm not even needling, right? And what's interesting is my price went up um, like in my consultations, but my labor dropped. So I don't even needle and not one single person has complained like, Oh my God, where's the needle? I came in for needles. It doesn't happen. Right. Uh, which is a, a bit of a misconception. Most people in, in the business side of things as well. So there's three things that I do in the first session. I go through their values. I go through their goals and I go through their level of gratitude. And so these three things are the most powerful things that has shown me consistently 
to bring on some of the, some of the transformations that I kind of expect. That's number one. Number two, which I think is a really important one, which is a little bit hard to grasp for even TCM practitioners, because I see this in the seminars that I do. I, I do the business seminars, but for, for the last six years, I've also been doing uh, Chinese medical seminars on actually the Chinese medicine side of emotions and psychology and stuff. And one of the things that I've found is very, very often, most people are very uncomfortable about the concept of me telling them not to allow the client to run their story. You see, every single human being who has these emotional baggages love to tell their story and they run that story. The problem is it's the same story that's feeding the same problem that they're holding on to. And so out of our own insecurity and our own maybe inability to manage the conversation, probably because of our relationship inability, I guess, because there's different personality traits, um, what we do is we tend to feed it. Like we feel like, because I used to do this myself, we feel like maybe the more we let them speak and share and, and, uh, and tell us about all their problems and all the emotional stuff, um, maybe that'll help them to build rapport. Well, yeah, maybe a small part, that's true, the, the rapport part. But the more you let people run their story, the more you become entangled with that story yourself. And what I've noticed is, and uh, we were talking about this earlier, that many practitioners generally attract the kind of clients who are in ideally a mirror reflection of their own broken parts. So when you resonate with someone's emotional baggage, you tend to overly sympathize with them and now you're interlinked with them. So you become them. And if you become them, you're in, you're basically no longer in a good position to heal them because you yourself are involved. And so when you run their story after story, uh, it just takes a long time and it's not the most viable option that I found personally. So I guess the big point of difference for me is that uh, I get to the bottom of the story quickly and I hold them accountable and I'm very comfortable in handling their imminent reactions, like the, the healing crisis they go through uh, because one of the things I found because a quarter of my clients are uh, practitioners, I found that when they have had these in the past with other practitioners, they're getting treatment for when these reactions come about, uh, the, the, the practitioner would, uh, I'm generalizing a bit, but would do like the four guides, yin tang to can calm down and then everything's back on track. Now, I don't think a person with emotional baggage needs relaxation. I think they need a transformation and transformation often comes with a bit of pain. And that's why I said, Carl Jung said, uh, you know, the enlightenment is not just light and imagining things. It's about going in darkness and bringing out the light within you. And that requires for you to see the darkness in the first place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the goals, the, the values, the, the gratitude, it'll be unwise for me to help them get better in their health. If they don't actually have a goal on getting their health on track, it's, it doesn't make sense. Right. I used to do it because I didn't know what I was doing or it'll be unwise for me to tell them all these great things about their health um, if again, their values do not demonstrate that outside this clinic, they have a very high right. value on, on, on health, which is most likely they don't. Right. That, that is so powerful. And I think that is so true is I think, I think what you demonstrate is, is how we look at and define patient care and, you know, our roles as far as being a practitioner. And that's a really important topic to to talk about you know is uh, is somebody's coming in for a symptom and they want that to be gone but why and what are their values around that as well i, I think that is so powerful and so important and I, I think that that would really make and enhance everybody's treatments um mm. 
So, uh, Dr. Firezom, we're almost out of time here. And um, just in conclusion, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with or any um, ways that, the, that they can find find you? We do have on Acubids uh, through the uh, your, your webinars that are coming on. I know there's at least one of them there now. Um, but is there anything that you want to leave our listeners and uh, ways to follow up with you? Sure. Like uh, I, I finish up on a very similar conclusion to most of the actual physical seminars that I do. And I'd love to say a few of those words. Uh, one is that um, you can have more in life. This is actually a quote from Jim Rohn. You can have more in life by becoming more within yourself, which is sort of essentially what we've talked about. But there's a couple of other things. Action breeds confidence and courage, right? Inaction breeds doubt and uncertainty. So it's one thing to learn and to keep reading, but you really, really need to start taking action, right? And I said before, action precedes clarity more often than not, okay? The other thing is fear. Um, every single thing that you've ever wanted lies on the other side of fear. And so we have this ability as human beings just because of our emotions and our senses. We, we have trouble seeing, uh, we have trouble, sorry, not being able to see the things that can come to us in terms of the gains and aspirations. So we're more attached to the, to the fear and uncertainty of things. And that's because we are attached again to the past. And so because we have a lot of repetitive thinking, like around 75,000 know, thoughts of which about 95% are repetitive, we're essentially creating a predictable genetic outcome of our future based on our past. And all this is revolving around fear. So fear is also something that is, needs, needs to be embraced. So instead of resisting it, the statement goes, whatever you try to resist will keep persisting. So with fear, embrace it. Try to get curious with it, as Oprah Winfrey said. See what it's asking you to do. See what it wants from you. And the last thing is... Um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quote, I can't remember who said it, but it's, it's a really powerful one. It says, you don't have any limitations. You just have addictions to your limited beliefs, right? So we're all geniuses at heart. We all have capacity. The fact that we are born, in fact, Chinese medicine says there's two reasons why you're born. The fact that, uh, you know, you, you were born and the, and the fact that you have a gift that you need to share, but you've got to find that gift. And Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life is the day that you were born and the day you find out why. So we're all geniuses at heart and I would encourage people to give themselves enough, uh, you know, certainty and, uh, and gratitude to really appreciate who they are at heart and just go out there and live fearlessly uh, towards an aspired life. But you've got to have a vision. You've got to have a purpose. Uh, don't just drift by. So have goals and understand your values and let the universe guide you. If you trust yourself, the universe will trust you and uh, the universe won't. And this is important. Uh, the universe won't do, uh, give you much more than that, which you declare for yourself. So whatever you value in yourself, the universe will give you that proportionate. Anything more or less is up to you. And uh, if you give yourself more, uh, stand on the shoulders of giants, you'll get more. If you hide in their shadows, it'll be very hard and you'll probably live a frustrating life. So keep going. Everyone's doing well at where they are. It's just, there's always more to learn and just keep learning. Excellent. Excellent. Dr. Farzam, it was an amazing episode. I, again, I really appreciate your time. And uh, I'm glad that you're an uh, active contributor to our group and you are definitely bettering our profession uh, with your words. So I would love to have you again on, on the show. Robert, thank you so much, mate. I appreciate uh, this chat and your time to have me here. And uh, I'll be more than happy to come back and uh, have further chats with you. It's been great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, consider joining our Facebook group. Just search for Clear Path to Success Professional Development. 
Thank you all again.